So up on the screen, you'll find a picture of the Yonker Diamond. It was named for the prospector Jacobus Yonker uh, after this stone was found in 1934 on a farm near Pretoria, South Africa. It was actually turned up by heavy rains. And though Jacob, Jacobus Yonker didn't real, immediately realize just what he was holding in his hand that day, this stone turned out to be one of the most famous gems in all of history. A white diamond tinged with blue that weighed 726 carats in rough form. This morning as we turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, God wants us to understand just how costly, valuable, and precious is our freedom in Christ. I want to talk to you today about the jewel of our freedom in Christ. Some of you who may have been with us two years ago when we were studying through the book of Galatians may even remember this message. It's just that kind of day that we need to focus on, on the gospel uh, as we look forward to some young people's baptisms this afternoon and just celebrate what God's done in their lives. And so we go back this morning to Galatians chapter 5 to talk about the jewel of our freedom in Christ. The Yonker Diamond, 726 carats worth of value. But let me just tell you, the freedom that you and I have in Jesus Christ, it causes that diamond to pale in comparison and in, in comparative value. Here's the take-home truth today. We must guard our freedom in Christ and let His beauty shine through us in our love to others. What do we do with this freedom that we have in Christ? This thing we're calling a jewel, this gem that we say is more precious than anything on the, on the planet, anything in the universe. We must guard our freedom in Christ and also let His beauty shine through us in our lives to others. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Then we're going to skip down to verse 13 through 15. We're going to skip. You can figure that out, can't you? We're going to skip verses 7 through 12 for now. We'll come back to that at the end. Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 1. Paul says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who wants himself to be circum who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then we skip down to verse 13 where Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out 
or you will be destroyed by each other. Do you hear the warning in these verses, the exhortation, the, the, the encouragement of the Apostle Paul? We must guard our freedom in Christ and let his beauty shine through us in our love to others. Notice how Paul breaks this down into two responsibilities that are ours in light of the infinitely valuable treasure of freedom in Christ. First of all, notice with me in verses 1 through 6, Paul exhorts us to maintain our freedom. Guard your freedom. Maintain your freedom. Verse 1 starts off, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus set us free through his life, death, and resurrection that we might be, what? Free. I mean, this is rocket science so far, isn't it? He set us free so we'd be free. Free from guilt. Free from condemnation. Free from legalistic rules. From the religious expectations of men. All these things that Paul talks about. The need to try to conjure up some sort of self-righteousness. Which every human knows is grossly inconsistent and inadequate. Amen? That stuff we try to do, that good stuff we try to produce on our own, we might, we might get close sometimes, but we pretty well stink at being righteous. Amen? Can we just all get on that play, on that play, to that place, at that, at, that, at that ground? Stand firm then in this freedom. It is for freedom that Christ sets you free. Christ sets you free from the need to do any of that because he gave you all the righteousness you'll ever need. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's another way of saying maintain your freedom. When people come along and try to take from you your freedom, when they try to bind you back up with their religious rules or or their judgments and expectations of your life, don't let yourself be enslaved to them or their thoughts or their ways or their words or their looks. This is our responsibility. This is a daily responsibility. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke. Of slavery, you know, you know what living before God apart from the righteousness of Jesus is—it's slavery. What does that mean? What, what, what are you getting at, Chad? Uh, my default is sin. My default's the opposite of what God wants from me. And on my own, I have no hope to ever get where I need to be with God. But in Christ, I've been set free, and I've been given all that God requires of me. And the payment for my sins has been made once and for all. And I stand fully accepted in him, free, liberated. You know, if it happens that we find ourselves loaded down again under a burden of legalism, it is because we let ourselves be. If you're a believer here in, in Jesus today and, and you know the gospel, you've trusted Christ, but, but you wake up and realize that you're, 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 you're living under this, this, this legalistic expectation. Maybe your own, maybe that of somebody else. Paul says it's because you've let yourself be enslaved. And he, and he exhorts us this morning, stand firm. Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Verse 2, he says, mark my words. He, uh, you, you think Paul's kind of excited at this point? 
He wants you to be listening. He wants you to get what he's saying. And he says, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, that's a very strong statement. Oh, some of you may be thinking, what in the world? Why does he bring up circumcision? What's that got to do with the price of tea in China? What's that got to do with anything? And in 2018, it's not something we talk about a whole lot, is it? But in that day, it was, there were Jews and everybody else. And Paul in the, in the Christian church grew out of a Jewish context. And, and in, in, among the Jews in the nation of Israel, circumcision was a big deal. Like you had to be circumcised to be in the nation of Israel, to stay there. And what was going on, though, is in the Christian church, which, which trusted the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which trusted exclusively in the work of Jesus, what was happening... Though the gospel said it's grace alone, Jesus paid it all. Jesus was righteous for you. He took the punishment for your sins. And he rose again to set you free. It's not about your religious works. It's not about your law keeping. It's not even about whether you're circumcised or not. Jesus did something in here. And the scripture talks about actually that we are, as believers, are circumcised in our hearts. It's no longer just a physical thing for the males of a, of a political nation called Israel. It is a spiritual thing that happens by the Spirit of God through the gospel where we are changed inwardly. But in that context where the Galatians lived, there were false teachers coming in that said, you know, the gospel's great. It's awesome to know how much God loves us in Jesus, but, but you got to understand, when Jesus came, he didn't do away with all this other, and so it's Jesus plus works. You can't think possibly that it's all grace. You, you, you certainly can't let yourself, allow yourself to, 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 to be under the delusion, these false teachers were saying, that it's Jesus plus nothing. You, you got to know. God still expects you to be circumcised or to fill the rest of their false teaching out. God still expects you to keep the law. And as much as you trust Jesus and keep the law, then hopefully you'll make it. Well, Paul's whole point is here's the deal. If it depends on me at all, it, depend, it doesn't depend on... It, it, bottom line is Jesus is out. <laughs> it's all back on me. If it depends on me at all. Very strong statement. If you let yourselves be circumcised, in other words, if you give in to this stuff about living under the law and keeping a bunch of religious rules, Christ will be of no value to you at all. That's an extension of what Paul had already said back in chapter 2, verse 21, where he said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If I could earn my salvation through doing good works, if I could make up for all the sin that I've committed by just doing good from here on, then Jesus didn't need to die. What's Paul's point? Is he, does he really believe that? No. He's saying you've got to be crazy to think that. Or because God wouldn't have sent his own son to die on the cross, to go through all that he went through, to live a perfect life in your place and hang on that criminal's cross for you if it wasn't absolutely necessary. And it is. Because righteousness does not come through the law. Verse 3 of Galatians 5, Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law, the whole thing. You see, if you add one drop of works to God's grace in Jesus, then it's all up to you. 
If you decide that you're going to contribute one drop to your own salvation, Jesus, I take all that you did, but here's the thing, Father. I know that there's no such thing as a free lunch. I know I can't, it can't be this simple. So here's the, I trust Jesus, but I'm also going to trust myself to do the best I can do. And somehow I believe that, that you know, I mean, you want me to be a good boy. So if, 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 I'm, if, if I just do my best and trust Jesus, that combination will get me there. You just undid your own salvation. That mean you lost it? No, I just mean if that's the way you think, you never had it. And furthermore, you obligated yourself to obey the whole law. See, we, what we want to do is we want to contribute a little something. So what we do is we go to the law, we pick the stuff that we can handle, right? Y'all with me? I mean, do not murder. I got it. So God, here's the deal. I'm going to trust Jesus. I'm not going to kill nobody. That's my contribution. I mean, I don't know everybody in the place, and there might be some, but I'm just thinking, I mean, most people can handle that, right? But the problem with that is God says, if you want to depend on your ability to do anything, then you've got to depend on your ability to keep the whole law. And it won't take a New York minute for you to be under the condemnation of the whole law. Why? Because you can't hardly breathe without sinning. Preacher, did you just say that about me? I sure did. said about me too. I won't get out of this church house before I commit some sin today. Did you know that? Either the sin of omission or commission. I mean, I'm liable to say something wrong that I didn't mean to say and it hurts your feelings or, or I'm liable to ha- have some thought in my, my heart, my mind that I shouldn't have. One of y'all's liable to say something goofy and it aggravate me and I'm going to get, you know, riled up. I mean, I mean we, don't, we can't hardly walk across the floor of our bedroom in the morning without sinning if we stand before the whole wall. Some translations here are, excuse me, verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, is this talking about losing your salvation? No. What's going on here? Some translations say you are severed from Christ, cut off from Christ. Basically, what this verse is about is this. When you buy into legalism, when you buy into the lie that you can do good things and please God and, and, and somehow earn your, your salvation, at least part of your salvation, you basically cut the cord between you and Jesus. You essentially give God his grace back and tell him you're going to do it your way on your own. This verse doesn't teach that you can lose your salvation. The whole letter's made it clear that we're saved by grace. So if you're not saved by works, you can't get unsaved by works. Y'all, y'all tracking with that logic? Simple. I mean, I'm telling you, the gospel's rocket science. It's so simple, kids understand it. And it's harder often for us adults to accept. And it's simple, simple beauty. Paul's point, though, is that we can't have both ways. We can't mix grace and works. We either take the free gift of grace or we live condemned in our sinful self-righteousness that is nothing, the Bible says, but filthy rags. It's one way or the other. The illustration that I used throughout our, our series on the book of Galatians was a, and I meant to bring it this morning, I'm getting old, I forget stuff, is a, is a bottle of water. And that bottle of water is about 30 ounces of water. And when we started Galatians, I took a, uh, 
thing of poison. It was yellow food coloring. And put one drop in there. I said, if this is arsenic, how many of you will drink this water now that it's got one drop of poison in it? You know what? I know it's the craziest thing. I had no volunteers. 30 ounces of water, one drop of poison. What's, what's the problem? The problem is the whole 30 ounces of water is polluted by the one drop of poison. That's the way the gospel works with, in, in terms of grace and works. One drop of works poisons the whole bottle, poisons the whole thing, undoes the gospel, undoes grace. If we depend on those good works. For instance, Paul says in verse 5, for through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. The Spirit is working in us. He's given us faith. He's helping us to hope in righteousness that is found not in us but outside of us in and through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's how true followers of Jesus live. We don't earn anything. We look to God in faith and trust the gift of God's righteousness in Jesus. And this hope that we're talking about, it's not a a hope so or wishful thinking kind of thing. It is the certainty that Hebrews 11 talks about of things unseen. It It is the confidence that when Jesus died and rose again, he paid it all. 100% complete work. Salvation accomplished. It is finished. Don't miss the strength of the words now in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, just think of that as Jewish religion or any kind of religious law-keeping, nor uncircumcision, in this case pagan, and even today pagan lack of restraint and immorality, neither, neither choice, neither way of living has any value. Neither way. Being a legalist or living in license will get you anywhere with God. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Faith in Jesus Christ that proves its reality by loving other people. You see, it doesn't matter whether you're a moralistic conservative or a loose-living liberal. Neither matters when it comes to salvation. Neither matters if you want to be given grace in Christ. Neither has any value. And the only thing that counts is faith that expresses itself through love. We'll talk more about the love part in a second. You see, we've been made completely free by faith in Jesus. We don't have to work for it. In fact, we sure can't earn it. Joe, my new favorite song is by Corey Asbury called Reckless Love. Here's some of the chorus. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down. Do you hear the prodigal? The story of the prodigal we read earlier. Do you hear it in here? Oh, it chases me down. Fights till I'm found. Leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. And I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. How do you think Jacobus Yonker handled the 726 carat diamond for the three days that he possessed it before he sold it. You think he went out in the yard and played pitch with that puppy? Did he just walk around with it casually? No. He was very careful to protect that jewel. Why don't we allow our own legalistic hearts or the foolishness of legalists around us 
calls us to treat the eternal and infinitely gorgeous gem of freedom in Christ like a dime store marble. Why? You know what Paul's saying? Buck up! Don't let yourself be enslaved again by your own legalistic tendencies or the tendencies and opinions and thoughts of church people around you. You know, here's the deal. If that ticks you off, be ticked off. And go home and read Galatians 5. And ask God to deal with your heart. Because what if it, if it ticks you off, the, the proof is you're a legalist. It's just the reality. You don't get the gospel. We must guard our freedom in Christ. Maintain. Your freedom. We're going to skip verses 7 through 12 for now, as we said. Second thing I want you to see from verses 13 and 15, not only must we maintain our freedom, we need to maximize our freedom. Verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. In case you forgot verses 1 through 6 and the rest of this letter while I was going off on the legalist, Paul says, let me remind you, you were called to be free. You've been given the universe's biggest and most valuable diamond, freedom in Jesus. But, he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. In other words, don't abuse your freedom. Do not take the diamond you've been given and roll it around in the dirt like it's a common marble by living in the very sin for which Christ died and from which Christ has rescued and freed you. Instead, maximize your freedom in Christ. Well, how do you do that? Rather, he says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather... Serve one another humbly in love. You know how you maximize the freedom you have in Jesus? You love other people the way he's loved you. And you talk about living. Then you're living. This is the fruit of grace salvation. This love, this serving love is what the Christian life is supposed to look like. This is what saving faith produces. And check out what he says next. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. You say, it's Jesus plus nothing. But when we rest in him and take that gift, his spirit produces in us love, love which by his grace and power, as we serve others, completely fulfills the law. We don't depend on keeping the law for our salvation, but from our salvation come lives that actually fulfill the law in as much as we're loving one another. Isn't that amazing? And who gets the glory for all of it? God, Jesus. Because can you love your neighbor as yourself on your own without the Spirit of God, without the indwelling of Jesus? No. No. And who is our neighbor? Do you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Everybody knows that story, right? Jews and Samaritans hated one another. 
Jewish guy's left for dead on the side of the road. All of his buddies, all of his church people, all of his church leaders come by and they pass by. They leave him laying there hurt, dying in the, in the ditch. Who is it that comes by and takes care of him? His arch enemy, a Samaritan who's a good man who reaches across all kinds of lines, all kinds of prejudices, all kinds of hatred and, and loves. Who's your neighbor? Our neighbor is even our enemies. Guess who's left out in this deal to love as love the other person as yourself? Who's left out? Nobody. You're called to love even your enemies. But your neighbor's your coworker, it's your family member, it's your friends, it's the guy across the street, the lady you see at the park, it's the African refugee. Uh, the Central American immigrant. It's your neighbor is any human being who is just like you made in God's image that you're in a relationship with. That person you're called to love. Those people, we as the church, are especially called together to love. You see, there are things in the news today that are gospel issues. Y'all all right? They're not political issues. They're not political preferences or depending on your party. They are gospel issues for which if we're going to follow Jesus, we don't have a choice but to follow him in loving and serving even the least of these. Is that not what Jesus said? If you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. To follow Jesus means to love them even as God loved you when you, when I was his sworn enemy. When I was running 100 miles in the other direction from God, that's when he loved me. When I, in my, my behavior and my thinking, was spitting in the face of holy God, that's when he sent his son to die for me. What is our relationship to the law as Christ followers? Very simple. Love your neighbor as yourself, and in doing that, you fulfill, this text says, the whole law. Now, as we'll see, uh, if you had time to get into the rest of this letter, we can't love this way without the power of Jesus' Spirit who lives in us, and the rest of chapter 5 talks about walking in the Spirit. That's our strength. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, lives in me. And that's how I love my neighbor as myself. But the point here this morning is this. We are not saved by grace so that we can live by a checklist of do's and don'ts. We are made free in Christ, fully accepted and loved and declared righteous before God and Him so that we are free to love and serve others the way we have been loved and served by Jesus. The beauty of the gospel is I am so loved by God, I ain't got to worry about me. I ain't got to worry about taking care of my... God's got me. I stand fully accepted in the beloved. I stand before holy God as righteous as Jesus is. That's what the gospel means. And from that place, I'm free. I don't have to worry about me. I'm free to love you. I'm free to serve other people. I'm free to lay down my life. So that people can see the one who's so loved me. Verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Kind of how it goes. And by the way, when we, when we, when we get into legalism, I mean, 
Let me just tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you where trouble in church starts. Nine times out of ten, it's, there's something legalistic going on. I'm just telling you. Trace it down. Somebody is being self-righteous over against another person. There's something where somebody thinks they're better than the other person, they're more right, whatever. Right? And so in a legalistic context, if, if there's, you know, if you've got your set of rules and i got my set of rules, they never match, right? Because I want an out that you don't need and you want an out that I don't need, so we've got different lists. We're easy on, the, on ourselves and hard on other people, right? Well, what ends up happening is we bite and devour each other, right? Y'all tracking? You see how simple, I mean, this is rocket science, isn't it? You want to fix all the problems in the church? Just keep grace front and central. Just keep the righteousness of Christ as the basis for everyone relating to God. When we're trying to be good on our own, trying to be righteous in our own strength, love is not what comes out. And what results is this destroying one another. We must let his beauty shine through us in our love to others. Well, after a year of study, the Yonker Diamond was cleaved by the New York cutter Lazar Kaplan into 12 stones ranging in weight from about 5 carats to an emerald cut cut stone of about 143 carats. They they studied how do we maximize this diamond? We don't want to just maintain it and keep it around. We want to maximize its value and its beauty. It was the first great diamond to be cut in the United States. You see, when we guard our freedom in in Christ with all our hearts and let that freedom overflow to others in humble love and service in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's like cutting a diamond to maximize its brilliance for all to see. It's like taking the Yonker diamond and studying it to see how can we maximize the value that comes out of this one stone. We can cut it into this many stones of this many carats each, of these kinds of cuts. And when we do, we will have the ultimate value. We'll have the ultimate beauty being reflected into the world from this one stone. That's what happens when you let God's love move through you into the lives of others. Maximize your freedom in Christ by humbly loving and serving others. Well, right in the middle of this section we've been considering, Paul gives us his strongest words in the entire letter for the false teachers. For these legalistic Judaizers we've been talking about there in Galatia, back in verse 7, here's what he says to the Galatians and of the Judaizers. You were running a good race. You, 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 were, you were trucking along with Jesus. Everything was right. You were resting in his righteousness. You, you had freedom and you were living out of that freedom and love. Who cut in on you? keep you from obeying the truth. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Those false teachers, those people that were coming along saying, Jesus is great, but it's not just Jesus alone. It's Jesus plus your works. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, Paul said, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. If if, if I'm still saying your good works contribute to your salvation, nobody's going to buck me. When people get ticked off, it's when I look at them and say, you can't do squat to save yourself. You can't contribute an ounce to your salvation. 
If you don't lean on Jesus for the whole thing, you don't get it at all. Paul said that's when people start getting aggravated. And, and, and just so you know, I, like Paul said, I'm, in, I'm, I'm being put in jail, I'm being beaten. I mean, all kind of things persecution-wise are happening to me. It's not because I'm preaching works religion. Everybody loves works religion. It's because I'm preaching 100% pure grace. Jesus and Jesus alone. Verse 12, as for those agitators, the ones who are saying Jesus plus this, Jesus plus that, Jesus plus these works. It's it's trust Jesus, but don't do this. It's trust Jesus, but don't drink that. It's trust Jesus, but don't eat that. It's trust Jesus, but don't talk to that kind of person. It's trust Jesus, but... Paul says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. They want to talk to you about getting circumcised. Let me tell you what I wish they'd do. I wish they'd castrate themselves. Hello. That's right there in the Bible. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things you're kind of ticking along with the New Testament. You're thinking, man, okay, circumcision, that was a little uncomfortable. But, I mean, now he says, and the ones that want you to be circumcised, I wish they'd be castrated. Hello. I mean, are y'all awake? Did y'all get the shock value of what he just said? What's his point? I wish those boys would get out of town. So poisonous is their works religion. I mean, if they want to be spiritual enough to be circumcised, then just let them go all the way, man. They better work awful hard. Because no matter how hard they work, they're not going to get there. Did he really want them to be castrated? No, his point was to make the point. You need to throw them out. You need to get rid of the lies. You can't listen to what they're saying because it's not the gospel. We must guard our freedom in Christ and let his beauty shine through us and our love to others. Earlier earlier we read... uh, Story of the prodigal son, right? Kind of the end of Luke 15. I want to back up and read the first seven verses of Luke 15. In this chapter, he tells a series of three stories. One about the lost sheep, which you're fixing to read. One about the lost coin, which you can read later on for yourself. And one about the prodigal son that we talked about earlier. How did, all these, how did all this stuff come up? Luke 15 tells us tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. What kind of crowd did Jesus draw? The worst of the worst. You know, religious people really didn't like him. Why? Because he messed with their self-righteousness. He messed with their feel-good about the, their keeping of their own list. He messed with that. In fact, he said, it ain't worth nothing. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So what does Jesus do? He starts telling three stories. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others? Remember that. 
when we sing in just a few minutes? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 other others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. How do you think the Pharisees that were standing there listening, the ones to whom he was telling this story, how do you think they felt at that point? They got hot. But then he went into the story of the lost coin. Then he went into the story of the prodigal son and the elder brother, which we don't have time to talk about now. But he just kept going. Three stories. He taught for 15 minutes probably. What was his point? He looked at these religious people and said, you know what? Heaven, the kingdom of God rejoices over one sinner who's a sinner and knows it. Like one of these tax collectors, one of these immoral people, one of these drunks. God rejoices more over one of them who, who knows who they are and says, I turn from my sin and I, and I, and I grab hold of Jesus with everything I got because he's all I've got. Heaven rejoices more over the repentance of one of those kind of people, Jesus said, than over 99 supposedly righteous. Were they really righteous? Were the people he's talking to, the Pharisees? And I, No. His point was all a hundred are lost and in need of a Savior. All a hundred sheep need rescuing. Ninety-nine just think they don't. You know, when you, get, you know when you can get saved? You know when you can find rescue and hope in Jesus? When you know you need it. And when you acknowledge that without Jesus you're hopeless in your own supposed righteousness. The song we're going to sing in just a minute, the song I mentioned earlier, Reckless Love. When I was your foe, still your love fought for me. You have been so, so good to me. When I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind to me. I love this. There's no shadow. This is me talking to God. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. That one sheep who's lost, away from the 99, out there in the wilderness, in the dangers of sin, in the slavery of sin, there's no wall you won't kick down, no lie you won't tear down. What lie are you believing today? Are you believing a lie that says you're just too far from God to ever be called his son, ever be called his daughter? Let me tell you something. God will chase you down. God will come after you. God's pursuing you this morning, right now in this moment, and he'll kick that lie down. He'll tear it down because it's a lie. You can't go too far. You can't stay too long in the place of sin for God to rescue you and save your soul. There's no lie you won't tear down coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I was praying this morning in my study, and 
I had that song playing, and, and I was praying for this, this moment right now. I was praying for this time today, and I just lost it. And thank God I got it all out because I, otherwise I'd be a snotty mess up here right now. But I, I was just a snotty mess for about 10 minutes. Joe, it really wasn't sinus trouble when I saw you in the coffee room. I'd just been crying. Because his love's overwhelming. It's never ending. It's crazy love that pursued me and keeps pursuing me. What's so crazy about God's love is God knows me and all of my sin, and he loves me anyway. Why? Just because he gets over it, lets it go? No. Because Jesus paid it all. Jesus is my righteousness. He wraps me and clothes me in his own son. Do you see the jewel of our freedom in Christ? We've been given an invaluably, invaluable, infinitely beautiful gem of God's grace in Jesus. This afternoon, we're going to witness... Leela Kate Wimpy and Preston McVeigh submitting to Jesus and demonstrating their trust in him through baptism. And we're going to celebrate their freedom in Christ. Maybe you're here today and, and this freedom we have in Jesus sounds amazing to you, but you don't have it and you know it. It only takes the faith of a child. Simple trust and dependence on Christ and Christ alone as you rest in Him as your only hope for the forgiveness of your sins and for a righteous standing before holy God. It's the simple trust that takes a free gift believing that the God who gives it loves you and wants you to have Him as your Father and your treasure above all forever. We must guard our freedom in Christ. And let his beauty shine through us in our love to others. That's what the gem, that's what the jewel of freedom in Christ is all about. Let's pray together.